Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 3. And for the second time ever, Matt and I are joined by a guest. The same guest that we had on last time, we have the CEO of Roto Pros, who pays Matt and I to do this, uh, Josh Kronfeld, on the podcast with us. So, Josh, welcome aboard. Josh and Matt, how's it going? Pretty good. Welcome, Josh. Happy to be here, and yeah. Just to clarify, yeah, I specifically pay you to have me on the podcast. <laughs> yep, it's a, that's that's my only role. That's what I got paid for. That's what I get employed for is to start a podcast that Josh could do because he doesn't realize that he could just sit at his computer by himself, press record and talk and put it out somewhere. So nobody tell him that. And Matt and I will stay employed. So <laughs> week three coming up. Week two is a very nice week. Uh I think a lot of the value guys we liked really hit on. Uh, we love Ty Montgomery. He had a big week. So hopefully we could carry some of that over to week three. Uh, there's a ton of injuries that we're going to have to talk about going through this one. And this is just going to be something that's going to happen as we go on in the season. There was not a lot of injuries in week one because nobody had played yet. There was a couple injuries in week two. We have a lot of injuries in week three. And there's going to be even more injuries in week four. So the first game we're going to talk about is actually the game with the biggest spread on the slate. That's the New England Patriots at home against the Houston Texans. And for this game, we have Chris Hogan's questionable, Rob Gronkowski is questionable, Rex Burkhead's questionable, Danny Amendola is questionable. He missed last week with a concussion. Matt, what is the Vegas total for this game, and is there any sharp action on it? So the line in this game is moving towards New England, unsurprisingly, because everyone loves the Patriots. Um, the line opened at minus 12 for New England, total of 44. The line is now up to minus 13.5 with the same total. So the public is completely ignoring the injury news. And it does look like the Sharps, at least initially, are on Houston, which is also unsurprising because you generally, in every sport, have big favorites being overvalued and big underdogs being undervalued. People see that minus 13.5 line, too, and they just assume that the Patriots are going to win by two touchdowns. I think if you asked most regular football fans what they think of this game, they would say, Patriots blow out. Look how bad the Texans have been this year. But I think that we just have to be really cautious of the sample size. The Texans were supposed to have one of the best defenses in football coming into the year, and they've actually played well defensively. It's been their offense that has struggled, and their offense has kind of cost them points, too, against Jacksonville with turnovers. Um, so I think this is going to be a tough matchup for the Patriots, but I think you'll get into this more with all of the injuries. I think we can really hone in on where the targets are going to go, because even though the offensive efficiency is probably going to be down, um, there's going to be some underpriced guys that get targets that usually don't get targets. So I'll let you get into that. Yeah, so I'm going to start with this. I'll, I'm not going to roster anybody from the Texans this week. No interest in them. Even though the Patriots defense has been pretty weak without Hightower, it's still I just don't like the Texans offense. Uh, Deshaun Watson, I think, could be a good player in a couple years. But for this week, no thanks. I think the Patriots' defense is going to be better going forward. So from the Patriots' side also, if everybody plays, I'm off the Patriots this week. The only reason I like the Patriots – well, I like the Patriots last week is, one, they're playing against the Saints. And then, two, they had Amendola was out. So it opened up a ton of targets for Hogan in the slot. Uh, Gronkowski, obviously, a lot of targets. But this is a much tougher matchup for them defensively. I do think Houston's going to have a top, maybe even top five off uh, defense in the NFL. At worst, they're going to be top ten. But like I said before, Hogan questionable, Gronk questionable, uh, Burkhead questionable. They had so few healthy wide receivers last week. At Rex Burkhead, who's played his entire career as a running back, they converted him to a receiver just to leave somebody else out there. 
and he got hurt after catching a touchdown pass. Dami, Danny Amendola, who I keep calling Dami Amendola because there's too many M's in his name, too many M's and N's, it's, it's very confusing. Uh, so he is the concussion. He might not play. So the one guy who's definitely healthy is going to be Brandon Cooks. If, say, two of the Patriots wide receivers who I just listed, if they're out, it's I think Brandon Cooks is going to see the lion's share of targets this week. The other thing also is he's the only Patriots wide receiver who has not had a big game yet. So I'm not going to say that he's due, but what I'm going to say is that if people are going to look at Patriots guys to roster, they're not going to want to roster Cooks because he's the one who hasn't had a good game. He's also been the highest-owned Patriots receiver the first couple weeks. So a lot of people are burned by him. They aren't going to want to roster him. And if there's injuries, he's still the best wide receiver on the Patriots outside of Rob Gronkowski. So I think he's a really good play for this week if guys are out. But if all those Patriots receivers play, that's too many targets, too many places for the ball to go. And just a tough matchup overall. Do you have any interest in any of these guys, Josh? Well, you took the you know you took the words right out of my mouth there with Cooks. Um, we're obviously waiting on some pretty important injury news, but the one guy you haven't mentioned that I'll be keeping an eye on is Dwayne Allen. Um, if Gronk's out, you know Allen's a guy that you know he, he was good in college. I'm forgetting where he went to school, Clemson, I feel like. Um, and uh, you know he was he had a couple good weeks with Andrew Luck back in the day, but you know their problem was always having a you know too much depth at tight end. So he's a guy that's had a, he's got the talent, he's got the raw talent, uh, but you know he's obviously mainly been just a blocker for the Pats as they obviously look for Gronk. But you know uh, he was on the field for 46 of their last, you know 76 snaps last week. Uh, so you know I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye on him if Gronk's out, but otherwise I'm not really going to be too interested in this game. Yeah, I think actually that's a good point about Dwayne Allen. I'm going to look up. Do you know what his price is off the top of your head, Josh? If not, I'm just going to look it up real quick. He is. 2500 Yeah, so 2500 is ridiculously cheap for a tight end, so that's a good point. If if Gronkowski's out, Dwayne Allen's going to start. We know that the Patriots like to throw to their tight ends. They used to play the two tight end set, uh, two tight end set with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, and I do think that Dwayne Allen at 2500 is a good value play if Gronk isn't able to play. So moving on to the next game on the slate, we have the... Atlanta Falcons at the Detroit Lions. Uh, so for this game, right now, I'm going to assume that a lot of the public likes the Lions. I could be off on this, but just based on what the stupid talking heads were saying after the Lions beat the Giants on Monday, and the Giants suck. They're incredibly annoying to watch and not fun. People on TV were saying that the Giants that their season was over and the Lions were Super Bowl contenders, which is really confusing to me. The idea of, oh, the Giants lost to the Lions, therefore they're, they're just finished as the team. But then the other side is, oh, the Lions beat the Giants in Week 2. They're they're legitimate Super Bowl contender. So, whatever. It's, it's all nonsense. But I'm going to assume that people are leaning towards the Lions because of how badly they beat down a shitty Giants team. Am I correct with that, Matt? Is that where public money's going? Uh, you're partially correct. So I think if every person who bet on sports and played daily fantasy lived in New York, then you'd certainly be correct. But uh, the public betting's actually split here, and I would imagine that there's a Lions bias, but there's also a Falcons bias after what they just did the Packers. Um, the real money here is on the over. People like points in this game. The total op- opened at 49. It's now up to 50 and a half. Uh, I think 51 at some places. So this this game looks to have the strongest betting mismatch of over to under bets so far and i'm not sure if this is a game where you could expect a lot of offense 
because I think both offenses might be a little bit overrated right now. Um, but it definitely is clear that the public likes points for this game, even though it's not a crazy high total. Yeah, I think that makes some sense. Um, so just for uh, reference, the Pro Football Focus has the Falcons as a three-and-a-half-point favorite and a 49-point over-under. So that is still a lot of points expected to be scored. The Lions had a really just piss-poor pass defense last year. So I think, once again, the Matt Ryan's Julio Jones combination does make some sense. The running back situation, I think people are going to go towards Devontae Freeman after his two-touchdown game last week. I don't like to target the Falcons' running game. I always I, I always find it really difficult to predict who's going to go off between Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. They kind of alternate. Actually, last year it was kind of weird how the Falcons split the carries where it was actually Freeman got more touches during home games and Coleman played more snaps during road games. So I don't know if that was a fluke or if a trend's going to carry over this year. But if you really want a roster a Falcons running back and you're trying to figure out where the production is going to come from, maybe that's something you can keep in mind. But that's a situation I'm not going to touch. There's just other running back situations that I think are easier to figure out. From the Lions side of the game, uh, I, I don't really love their offense that much. I think Amir Abdullah makes a little bit of sense as a punt running back. He's fairly cheap. But this isn't going to be one of my favorite games to stack. There's going to be other places I look. If, if I had to roster somebody, it would be the Matt Ryan-Julio Jones combination. But I'm going to be very lightweight on this game versus the field. Is there any player who you really like from this game, Josh, that you think you're going to have a lot of exposure to? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I do love Stafford. Um, I, you know, it's second highest over-under in the week, I think. Um, and, you know, the Lions, obviously, are going to have to score a lot to keep pace. Um, and more specifically, I love Theo Riddick. Uh, he could be a big flex play for me this week. Um, you know, much of the production that the Falcons are giving up against running backs is, you know, PPR-wise. Uh, you know, we saw what Tara Cohen did to them. We saw Ty Montgomery, and I don't see why Theo Riddick would do the same. So. Yeah, Josh, I have to uh, agree with you on Theo Riddick just because I think he's really athletic and talented. Uh, and I know this because he guarded me in high school basketball, and it was really hard to dribble the ball against him. So I, I, can, I can second the notion that Theo Riddick is really good at sports. I'm assuming that was his career highlight. Yeah, I think I so. Sat next, I sat next to him at a hockey game once, so that's a that's a thing. I do like Galladay too. Listen, I'm I'm you know he didn't do much last night, but uh, I like their receivers, man. They got some good Tate, Galladay, and Marvin. They got some young athletic dudes. So and Ebron too. You know, it's uh, it's a good thing. Stafford's got some weapons. I agree with that. I just think to me, it's so many guys that can touch the ball. Like I think that. I think Tate's going to get the lion's share of the targets, uh, pun not intended. I, but who, I think that was, <laughs> I think it just came out. Was that? Who's Tufant going to be guarding? Uh, let's see what football outsiders, who they have him, uh, who they have him shadowing. I would assume Golden. That's, that's why I kind of didn't really mention him. It could be. But um, if in the slot, then probably not. Yeah, so I'm not sure. So it's... I have. I could be wrong, but I think that he does. Trufant usually not. Sh I feel like he usually pay, he plays just a part of the field and doesn't shadow anybody. I'm not sure. I forgot. I, I, I'm not, off the top of my head, I don't know. All right. Well, according to the wide receiver QB matchup chart that I'm looking up on Pro Football Focus, everybody hold your breath as I look through this information because mm -hmm. nothing's more exciting than a podcast where I'm scrolling through information. I mean, this is important information. So. 
where oh there's so many names to go through all right so true font according to pro football focus they have true font shadowing marvin jones and uh, they have how big is true font he's like five ten well the issue is is that true font doesn't usually play in the slot and golden tate does play in the slot so for that reason, they have Brian Poole being matched up against Golden Tate. So I like. Golden. I don't know. I don't know if that changes your interest. But either way, for me, like I, I agree. Like Stafford has played very well the first couple weeks. To me, the issue is just that I don't know which receiver to target. Like Abdullah and Theo Riddick have both split snaps. Abdullah's gotten more touches, but they've both been on the field for about the same. Abdullah and, runs. Riddick catches the ball. That's the difference. But with that said, Abdullah's been getting targets so far this year. In the past, that's been true. But this year, Amir Abdullah. Pretty sure, like, last week he got quite... I remember him catching quite a few balls against the Giants. Um, where is it? Oh, my God. So much Greg, this is really fun up. stuff. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Not worry about it, but also I guess on the Falcon side of things, I, I do have a little bit of interest in Sanu as well. Um, again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, but the Lions' first corner is really good. Uh, anyone Slay. Yeah, Darius Slay. Uh, so he'll probably be, you know, make it a little difficult. Really, I'm sure they'll double, they'll do crazy things like every other team does against him. But uh, Sanu's looked really good this year. He's been targeted a lot, uh, like nine times I think in Week One and. Something similar to that in week two against the Packers, and they obviously didn't even really need to throw late in the game. I don't if I remember correctly. Uh, so my so it sounds to me like you want to stack this game a lot, Josh. Stack it, but it could. I, I, I like the Detroit side of things. I think they're going to be really, you know, they're going to be throwing the whole time. And the, the Falcons' run D kind of um, impressed me a little bit, as well as the fact that, what's his name? He's two people. Um, Big Beast and uh, one more. One of their other really good. Uh, Courtney Upshaw. Both of them are ruled out already. So, you know, the Falcons, these are, you know, it's it's vulnerable. And then, you know, anyone with two of their better players out is even more vulnerable. Yeah, there's just other spots I like better. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible game to stack. Uh, I just think there's going to be more value other places that we get into. I agree. So the next game on the slate, Cleveland... At the Colts, uh, Matt and I were talking about potentially using the Cleveland Browns in Survivor Pool this week. So we'll have to bring up that. But So Browns, Colts, Matt, what's the Vegas info for this game? Well, I, I don't know the exact number, but I think this is the first time in like 10 years that the Browns have been a favorite on the road. Um, it I can't remember the last time that they were. And I don't think it really says anything about the quality of the Browns team because the Colts have just been so bad this year. And I also don't think that the line is really too far off. Well, at least not anymore. So the line opened at minus two and a half for Cleveland. And uh, it's been bet down to one and a half and even one at some books. So it's it's going lower. I think there's a little bit of sharp money on Indy. Um, you mentioned Corey Coleman being hurt before the podcast. I think that's a lot of the reason why the Sharps are on Indy. Because I think that there was um, a little bit of a sharp indicator at Cleveland before that. So this looks like a game where the public is split. The sharp money might be split. I think because both these teams are so bad, people just don't really know what to expect from it. Uh, we have two quarterbacks that we don't really know what to expect from. The public obviously likes the under. That's not surprising because you always get that in games where the teams are bad. 
Um, so there's just a lot of mess here, and I, it's really hard to gather anything from it. So to me, one of the most significant parts of this game is that Miles Garrett, who's missed the first two weeks of the season with a sprained ankle, is questionable to play, and he might end up playing on Sunday. Miles Garrett's one of the best defensive prospects that's come in the league in a long time, and he, I expect him to be a really impactful player just right out of the gate. If he plays, I have a, like, a really weird correlation play for this game that I don't think is going to go very highly owned for GPP, and that's going to be the Browns' defense with Isaiah Crowell. So Crowell has split snaps with Duke Johnson. Well, I, he's actually played more snaps than Duke Johnson start the year, but they've gotten about the same number of touches. And according to one of the Browns beat reporters that I was just reading this thing on Twitter earlier today, the Browns are expected to uh, use Crowell a lot more in the run game this week, and he's expected to get more touches. So I don't think the Browns' defense is total dog shit. I do think the Colts' offense is awful, and I think the Browns' defense could actually be decent once Miles Garrett gets into the mix. So if he plays, I think that Crowell with the Browns' defense makes for a decent correlation. The other thing also is we were saying – uh, Corey Coleman broke his hand. Sam Handy broke last year. He's going to miss a significant amount of time. Rashard Higgins, who was not on the roster for week one, was on the roster for week two, and he actually led the team in targets and had a pretty efficient game. So I think him at 4000 makes a lot of sense as a cheap receiver. So I do have a moderate amount of interest in the Browns for this week with uh, Crowell, the Browns defense, and Higgins, and I have no interest in the Colts side of this game. How about you, Josh? Is there anything that stands out to you? Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth with Higgins there. I like him. Um, definitely like him. Uh, he's good. He, he had like seven or he's, – he's right off the practice squad. And uh, he came right in. He's, he, did, he did well. I like him. But the only other guy I'll mention that hasn't been brought up yet is Jack Doyle. Uh, it looked like he developed some kind of interesting chemistry with uh, Brissett last week near the end of the game. Um, and he did the same type of thing last year um, with, with Buck for a little bit too. So – He's, he's talented. I like him. And the Browns obviously have been notorious going back to last year for struggling against tight ends. Uh, you know, even this year, Jesse James and Ben Watson have had good weeks against them. So I would, at 3,600, I would keep an eye on Jack Doyle. But, you know, he's not someone I'm going to have crazy exposure to. Yeah, I just, I, I just like the Browns' defense as a cheap defense for this week. They're only uh, – what was their price had it before? The Browns' defense is priced at – 3,000, so that's a pretty cheap defense to roster. That, that'll probably be my cheap defense play for the week. Next game on the slate, the Denver Broncos at the Buffalo Bills. Matt, what does the Vegas line have to say about this? Uh, there's a pretty big public split for this game. The public really, really favors Denver, and the sharp money is on Buffalo. This line opened at minus one for the Broncos. It's now up to minus three. Uh, the public also loves the under. The totals dropped from 41 to 40 with 70% under bets. I think that the the number one defense in terms of ownership this week, based on the Vegas movement, is probably this Broncos defense. Um, but it does look like they're probably a little overvalued just because it's harder to play games on the road. It's just more difficult to do well in road games. And I think a lot of times for DFS, for betting, for whatever, people just kind of forget that home field advantage exists. Um, so this game is going to be difficult for Denver just because it's a road game, and I think that the public is missing that for the most part. Yeah, so one of the things about this, I'll just say, it's I'm not going to roster any Bills players this week. I just don't play any Bills against the Denver Broncos. The defense is too good. 
even the Broncos, Trevor Simeon had the really good game last week, and to me, that's a little bit of an aberration. He has to prove it to me, like, play well for more than just the one game for me to think he's a decent quarterback. He's been terrible his entire career, so one really good performance against a suspect Cowboys team. I'm not going to say that all of a sudden I think Semyon's a decent player. The guy who interests me most from this game is C.J. Anderson because C.J. Anderson's still only priced at 5800 and he's just been getting a ton of touches so far this year. The expectation going into the season was that he was going to be splitting time with Jamal Charles, but that just hasn't been the case so far. C.J. Anderson had uh, 25 carries and one catch in week one. He had 25 carries and three catches last week. He's seeing as much volume as pretty much any running back in the NFL right now. So C.J. Anderson at 5,800, I like guys who touch the ball a lot. I like guys who play a lot. And I think that he's a pretty safe play at 5,800. And I also think he's a very high upside play at 5,800 because he gets all the red zone touches for the Broncos. So a lot of chance for a touchdown there. Like, it's really difficult to predict touchdowns, but the easiest way to get uh, the best chance of having a touchdown is a running back who's getting a team's goal line touches. So... C.J. Anderson at 5,800. He's my favorite play from this game. How do you feel about that, Josh? Yeah, I agree completely. I like C.J. a lot. Um, he surprised a lot of people this year. He, uh, you know, he just gets right written off, it seems, year after year. Um, and, you know, he's, I think last year, near the end of the year, he got hurt. And that was the reason uh, he kind of fell off a little bit. But I'm not going to have too much interest in this game. Um, I don't really, you know, when the year started, I thought maybe Zay Jones would turn out to be decent, or, and he still may. But, uh, you know, the no-fly zone in Denver clearly takes away, you know, any sort of uh, appeal to Buffalo's aerial threats. Um, I think McCoy will, will kind of be, he'll probably be a bust this week. I don't think he'll do too much. Denver's run D was something that people kind of run to the impression was worth targeting. For, you know, for, for good reason, because stats, you know, supported that. Um, and again, you know, it's we're talking one week here. Yeah, they controlled Zeke. It doesn't suddenly mean that, uh, you know, they have an amazing run, Dean, and everything is, is better and fixed. But, uh, you know, I, I won't be, I won't have any McCoy shares. I won't, you know, no reason to touch Ty God. You know, so I, I, I think we touched it all for this game. Okay, so next one on the slate, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Minnesota Vikings. And, of course, the big news for this game, Sam Bradford missed last week with the, with the knee injury. They looked awful without him. The offense looked really good in week one with Sam Bradford. They looked really bad in week two without Sam Bradford. And there is no Vegas line on this game for right now because that's how much of a factor the Bradford injury has. So just making sure that's still correct, right, Matt? You haven't found any any uh, over-under total or uh, point spread for this yet? Yeah, Sports Insights has tracked zero betting tickets for this game, so you are right. Yeah, so it's it's hard, it's hard to have much of an opinion on it from that perspective. But I will say from the Buccaneer side of the game, I liked Jaquiz Rodgers a lot last, last week. I still think he's going to get a lot of the touches until, uh, Doug, until Doug Martin comes back from suspension. But with that said, Minnesota is one of the better defenses in football. I don't think this is a good spot for Jaquiz Rogers. Uh, Jameis Winston to Mike Evans or Deshaun Jackson. I think that maybe Winston Evans is like a low-owned GPB play. Maybe makes some sense, but still not something I really have a ton of interest in. And then from the Vikings side of the game, maybe some Dalvin Cook, but probably not for me. And then just have to avoid the Vikings passing game altogether if Bradford doesn't play. Case Keenum, I don't think is an NFL 
caliber player, and then obviously that totally neuters the value of, of Diggs and Thielen as well, and uh, Rudolph also. So probably a game I'm just not going to have a lot of exposure to. How do you feel about that, Josh? Um, I'm in complete agreement. Nothing I'm interested in. I have uh, the utmost respect for Minnesota's defense. Not only are they talented pretty much across the you know the board there uh, at each position, but there's you know only a few teams in the NFL who have these you know real defensive-minded coaches. And Zimmer obviously was you know had a, very, a lot of success in Cincinnati's defense, and you know even last year at Minnesota. Um, I think a lot of people forget that you know in the first half of the year last year, Minnesota was probably the best defense in football. Um, and then you know a couple of bad injuries and just. Uh, Things went downhill as the season went on, but they looked pretty good last week. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Pittsburgh won, but that was a tough situation without Bradford. Uh, the week before, they made Drew Brees look pretty bad. So I expect uh, a similar situation here. Like you said about – oh, no, sorry. I was going to say like you said about Simeon and not playing the Broncos. Uh, I, I don't know. I just I, – I, Minnesota should uh, – Winston, Evans, good GPP uh, dart, like you said. I do agree with that. I would maybe, maybe have like very little exposure to Deshaun, um, just in the case that he's the one who goes off. Uh, he's similar to Martavis with the routes that they run, and Martavis was the guy who found success last week. But uh, I think Xavier Rhodes would probably be uh, do a good job of shutting down Evans, and I don't like anything in this game. Yeah, let me just okay. weigh in on the Vikings defense for a second, because I think that the Vikings were the team. I forget. It, I think it might be last year and the year before where their defensive numbers in terms of points per game allowed really overvalued the quality of the team. Like Football Outsiders projects them to be the 21st ranked defense going forward. Last year in DVOA, I think they were at, uh, I think, 18th, roughly. Yeah, but, but the difference is that they were top five in DVOA before their entire secondary got hurt last year. Gotcha. Okay. So then, what would be your what would be the explanation for them being projected to be so bad the rest of this year? Is their secondary not fully healthy? No, I think it just takes a lot of the aggregate results from last year, and I think uh, they were so bad the second half of the season that I could be wrong, but I think some of the DVOA stuff also will factor in some of last year's numbers and it takes into account more the end of the season than the start of the season um yeah i think that that probably is true i know they adjust for players to some degree um yeah they could be a little bit undervalued by the projection models because of the timing of their injuries from last year that makes sense so the next game on the slate is saints at panthers this is going to be a game that I really like a lot for the week. Matt, what is the Vegas info for this one? The public loves the underdog here, and basically no one is taking the favorite. Uh, I think that a lot of people are currently scared by the Greg Olson injury, and I'm sure you'll talk about this and the implications for targets there. Um, but I would imagine that this makes the Panthers' offense a lot worse, and the public seems to really be on board with that. We have a line of minus six, which is down to five and a half. Total of 49 is now down to 47 and even 46 and a half. And the public is 66% on the spread for New Orleans, 76% on the money line for New Orleans, and 66% on the under. So basically every indicator here from the public is anti-Panthers offense. Um, but this could be a bit of, of an overreaction. I'm not sure. Yeah, so like you said, the big injury here, Greg Olson, broken foot. He's expected to miss a lot of time. They don't have an exact timetable, but this could even be a season-ending injury for Greg Olson. 
I really like this spot for the Panthers' offense. Cam Newton has not played well at all the first couple weeks of the season. I'm going to have a lot of Cam Newton this week. I think Cam Newton to Calvin Benjamin, that could actually be my number one or maybe number two quarterback-to-wide receiver combination because there's another one that I'm going to talk about later that I'm going to use a lot. But I really like Cam Newton to Calvin Benjamin a lot. And if Cam Newton doesn't play well this week, it's going to take a lot for me to get back on the Cam Newton bandwagon because if you can't play well against the Saints passing defense, then there really aren't that many opportunities that are going to be better than that for him to play well in. And the other thing also is Cam Newton historically has always been one of, if not the most expensive quarterback on the slate whenever he plays against the Saints. And he's priced only at 6600 this week. And then we have Calvin Benjamin is at uh, 6700 Like That's a very reasonable quarterback-to-wide receiver combination for pricing with just a ton of upside to it. And then from the Saints side of the game, the running game, absolutely not. The passing game, I think uh, Michael Thomas makes sense in a game stack with Cam Newton and Calvin Benjamin. But I have much more interest in the Saints side of the game. I also think Christian McCaffrey makes a little bit of sense as a PPR target combined with Cam Newton. Just because he's going to be really involved in the passing game, I think he's going to have a bigger role without Greg Olson there going forward. And also just a highly regarded rookie that he's the high first-round pick on. I think that he's going to become more involved in the offense as the season goes on, even though he hasn't played a huge number of snaps so far. I think he's going to have a bigger year as the season progresses. But Josh, how do you feel about this game? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Yeah, you touched on it all. Um, Cam to Kelvin, like you said, probably the number combo of the week, especially with Olsen down. Uh, I love McCaffrey. I love me some McCaffrey. Uh, he's, you know, a, a, an awesome flex play. He'll probably, I don't think he scored yet this year, but this will probably be the week. Um, and just sorry, just to backtrack for a second, I kind of like was looking at some stuff when you were talking on the, the Minnesota Tampa Bay game that I didn't quite realize and I wanted to correct myself. Um, I like Stephon Diggs a lot. If Bradford does come back, again, assuming he does come back, uh, Diggs' price went down due to last week not being so well, not going so well uh, with Case Keenum behind, uh, behind center. And uh, Tampa Bay gave up 204 receiving yards to the Bears, which is, you know, part of that is game flow and the fact that they were just up so much, and I'm sure a lot of that was dump-offs and just, you know, Tampa. You know, well, it wasn't a very competitive game, so. Uh, but I will say that I do like Diggs. His price went down, and, uh, you know, he could, him and Thielen could be, you know, as long as Bradford's back, it would be an interesting place. So I will have a little more exposure than I initially thought. But, uh, sorry, back to the Carolina-New Orleans game. Um, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to be on Colby Fleener. Uh, he was like the chalk last week that just, you know, I guess he barely had value right at the end. He got the TD, so it worked out. But uh, I don't like it for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think uh, I thought he had, I thought he was more of Breeze's. You know, I thought they had a better rapport, so to speak. And again, I could just be, you know, overreacting here. But, I, I you know, on a week, the Patriots usually look to shut down your best player. And uh, they did a pretty good job of you know, limiting Michael Thomas. So with that being said, Breeze was looking at like Brandon Coleman and stuff more than, than Fleener. So, yeah, I'll, uh... yeah, and I mean, that's also just classic Saints offense where there's never really been one guy you could consistently say within the Saints offense that, okay, this guy's definitely going to be targeted a lot. Like we've seen this a ton from them over the years where it's okay. It's a Brandon Coleman week. Then it's a Willie Sneed week. Then a Brandon Cooks week. Like we saw this all the time last year. Their go-to guy really varies a lot week to week. And it's a little, 
it's it's very difficult to predict. I think Michael Thomas is going to be the guy more often than not this year, just because the receiving core is so much thinner than it's been in previous seasons. But it's it's really hard to pick one guy and feel really confident in. It still is Michael Thomas for me this week, but it, it's it is really hard to narrow down one guy and say that I want to stack Breeze with player X. But I like the Panther side of the game a lot more. And if I'm taking a Saints player in that game to throw in a Panther stack for the whole game stack, it's going to be Michael Thomas for me. So the uh, the next game on the slate, Dolphins at Jets. Very excited to watch this game. This is <laughs> going to be such a fun football game. I'm sure that uh, I can't believe this isn't a primetime game. Matt, what's the Vegas info for this game? And uh, I'll also just say at the top, the only player I have any interest in rostering is Jay Ajayi from this game. He's going to get a ton of touches this year. The Jets team is not good. Uh, I'm just not a game I'm going to have a lot of exposure to. So just go over the Vegas stuff real quick, and then we can just kind of move on from this game that nobody wants to watch or talk about. Sure. So let me just comment really quickly on the last game before we move on. Uh, Just to reiterate, based on the public betting information, I think that the Panthers are going to be really, really contrarian, which for the matchup, as you described, is... It, it's a good one for their offense against a bad Saints defense. So I, I think because of the way people are betting in Vegas right now, that's indicative of very low ownership for the Panthers offense. So I agree with you. That's a really good spot. But moving on to this very exciting Jets-Dolphins game, the public actually seems to really like the over so far. Um, I don't know why, because this is this is a game with two bad offenses. Um but it does look like the Sharps are on the Jets' defense. So the line was 6.5 for the Dolphins. It's now down to 6. The total was at 41. It's now up to 42. Uh, but most of the money bet is on the under and on the Jets. So I think that because the Jets have lost so badly their first two games, I mean, they played okay against the Bills, but more importantly, uh, the most recent thing that the public has seen was the Jets' defense getting destroyed by the Raiders, although the point total for Oakland was very misleading because – Seven points can literally just be attributed to the Jets' special teams where they muffed a punt at their own five-yard line. And uh, the game kind of just got away from them where a lot of the late points just aren't indicative of the way that their defense would play under normal circumstances. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the situation is just different when it, you're playing amidst a blowout. I think you guys would probably both agree with that. So uh, the Jets' defense was supposed to be average coming into the year. I think the public sentiment is that it would be worse than average. But the Jets have an okay defense, and I think that I think they make for a pretty decent uh, GPP upside play against Jay Cutler, who we talked about last week as being interception prone and sack prone, even though he might be decent overall. But uh, the pick that I would take away from this game based on the Vegas movement is definitely the Jets defense. Uh, but I don't know if that says much about using Jay Jaya or not. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're not going to play Jay Jaya with the Jets defense. The Jets... They are the second cheapest defense on the slate. They're only 2,100, so you could definitely use them and then fit in anybody else, and they don't have to do much to hit value. They basically just don't have to score negative points. They're going to be okay. So from that standpoint, I think it makes some sense. But, I I mean, the Jets team, to me, is just – they're just really bad, and I just think there's better spots to target. So we'll just go over just to the next game. I don't don't want to talk about the Jets and Dolphins (laughs) anymore. There's not a lot of interest there. Next game, Steelers at Bears. Yo, what Matt, question, what's, Greg, do you have any interest in Jermaine Curse? No. So, like, what happened last week? Because like, I was going up against a lot of people who, like, had him. Like, it was, you know, like, why? why? 
Well, I mean, eventually somebody is going to catch the ball, and the Raiders also have one of the worst passing defenses in the league. Uh, they're bottom, I'm not like bottom five, but they are bottom ten. And then the other thing also is uh, Jeremy Curley wasn't active last week, was he? There was also a lot of garbage time in that game. Yeah, yes, there was there was a lot of garbage time in that game. No. Uh, so the other thing also is I think Curley. So Curley did play some snaps this week. I think he's going to be even more involved in the offense going forward. Uh, so I think that that's going to affect Curse's role in the offense. But it's it's just such a bad offense that I would I would rather just target better players and better offenses. And the, it's not like the Dolphins are that bad of a defense. They're not good. But they're 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 worse defenses in the league. Like I'd much prefer Higgins to Curse. You still there, Josh? Yeah, no, no response. You win, Greg. Isn't, <laughs> isn't David Amberson? I thought he had a really good year last year for the Raiders. He's one of their top corners. Am I, am I mistaken? Well, if you still look at the total results of the. Alright, so the the Raiders defense. I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it at this because nobody wants to listen to me look look up stats again. But the Raiders the Raiders pass defense is twenty second in the NFL overall. Their defense is uh, projected with the adjustment to be ranked also twenty. Oh, they're twenty seventh for the year and projected to be twenty second for the rest of the season. It's been a not good pass defense either. So, I, I mean, it's I just don't think they're particularly good. And I also think that there was a lot of points scored in that game. There was a lot of garbage time. I don't like, – this game shouldn't be as one side as that game was last week where there's just going to be free yards given out at the end of the game. I agree. We can move on. Okay, so the next game, Steelers at Bears. Matt, what's the Vegas info for this one? The public loves the Steelers, and this is very unsurprising also. Probably, uh, besides the Patriots game, the least surprised that I am of any public breakdown. Because the Steelers are arguably the best team in the NFL. I think we'll at least call them top three. Uh, The Bears are not very good. Uh, This line opened at minus eight for Pittsburgh and is now down to minus seven, with 79% of the spread bets going on Pittsburgh and 84% of the money line bets going on Pittsburgh. The total has dropped from 46 to 44. Uh, I think the public likes the under for both sides. So I think the real bias here is towards the Steelers' defense, and it just may not be quite as strong of a spot as people think. Uh, Mike Lennon was really bad last week, so I think that there's just a little bit of an overreaction to just how bad the Bears are. There are some injuries there that they have at wide receiver, which I'm assuming you'll bring up, but uh, this just it's even if the Bears are really bad offensively, they're not quite as bad as everyone thinks they are. Yeah, so the other thing with the Bears is that Marcus Wheaton is coming back from the broken finger. So that's going to really spread the targets out even more. There's going to be less looks for Kendall Wright, less looks for Tarek Cohen. And I'm sure there's going to be some people that want to buy into the uh, revenge game narrative. Marcus Wheaton playing his first game of the season Mm -hmm. against his former team, the Steelers, who wanted nothing to do with him. But with that said, he does not have a great quarterback in Mike Lennon. The Steelers have one of the better defenses in football, so... I'm way off the Bears' offense this week. I also just think that's a lot of targets to go around. I don't know what the Glennon to Wheaton combination is going to look like. Where most of my interest lies for this game is going to be on Le'Veon Bell. So Le'Veon Bell, his price has gone way down this week. He's at 8800 basically the cheapest he's been since the start of last season. It's been well known that Roethlisberger is some of the biggest home road splits 
uh, throughout his career. He's a much worse quarterback on the road than at home, which is going to lead to more touches for Le'Veon Bell, usually on the road. And the other thing, Le'Veon Bell, after seeing his snap count down in week one, week two, 27 carries, four catches. His snaps were regular. His touches were back to regular. He just didn't score any touchdowns. His efficiency wasn't great, 27 carries for 87 yards. But given how much volume that is for him in this offense, he's he's going to score a lot of points. He's going to be back to being the guy he was last year who was the second highest scoring fantasy player behind David Johnson for the season. So I, I love Le'Veon Bell this week. He's my favorite guy to pay up for. How do you feel about Bell this week, Josh? Uh, I think it's a good call. He had like 30 touches, 30 plus touches last week. So he's clearly, uh, you know, out of the doghouse for a skipping preseason. And, um, you know, I, I love guys in contract years. Um, you know, it goes without saying. Uh, uh, well, I'll totally disagree. Yeah, with you. I would like to say things about that also. Because, <laughs> only because I did a thesis paper on it in college and disproved it. Disprove, disprove it. Okay. It's a very <laughs> strong word. Well, I like guys who are extra motivated, let's say. So, um, you know, he. My, I was slightly concerned with his conditioning and maybe that that was like a part of why he didn't have a huge week one role, but clearly he's, you know, he's Le'Veon. So um, the Bears actually do, weirdly enough, considering their corner is Prince of Mugamera, uh, right? I think, I think um, they weirdly do a good job of, of, of limiting Julio. They limit, they limit once, well. Um, so, you know, that being said, Antonio Brown is Antonio Brown, so I wouldn't say I'm worried about anything, but, you know, I'll definitely have some Tarek Cohen. Um, I like, you know, they're going to be down a lot. The game script favors them coming from behind, so that just means a lot of dump-offs and a lot of routes for him. Uh, Jordan Howard's very clearly not as good as, uh, Tarek in terms of reception game. Um, so, I, you know, the, 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 I agree with you, Greg, on Le'Veon by easily being the one of the best people to actually pay up for this week. You know, the game script favors it. Big, big Ben is worse on the road. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Chicago's front seven worries me a little. They're, I think they're talented. Less talented than people may realize, but, you know, the Steelers have a great O-line, so I'll, I'll Lev for sure. I don't think I will have much, you know, Jesse James, Martavis, you know, any, any of that, but if Vance McDonald's still out, uh, then, then there's a chance I, I might have a little Jesse James. Yeah, for me, I just think Tara Cohen's way too expensive. I think 5600 for him is a really expensive price to play against a good defense. And also, Cohen was on the field less in Week 2 than he was in Week 1, uh, less targets. And then the other thing also is just you add Marcus Wheaton into the mix. That's just more mouths to feed. So in general, I don't like guys after their prices go way up. And when I just look at some of the other guys priced around Tara Cohen, like I just prefer, I, I prefer Christian McCaffrey, I prefer CJ Anderson. So I can't see myself rostering Cohen because I just like those other guys so much more. Uh, when you when you bring up CJ and McCaffrey, I didn't realize how close they were in price. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, if you're desperate for someone other than CJ McCaffrey in that price range and you need a nice little flex, maybe think about Tara. All right, next game on the slate. The New York football Giants playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Giants, who continue to wow and impress. Matt, what does Vegas have to say about this game? Uh, the line for this game is Eagles minus 6. It opened at 5.5. It's gone up half a point. The totals dropped from 43 to 42.5. 
So the public is definitely on the Eagles defense and I guess more accurately anti-Eli Manning and the Giants offense, which is definitely not a shock considering how the Giants have looked through their first two games. Uh, But there are a very substantial number of money line bets, um, a lot of big money line bets on the Giants. So uh, 56% of the money line tickets at this point uh, are on the Eagles, but 90% of the money line dollars are on the Giants. Uh, That comes from Sports Insights. So they're tracking a lot of big bets on the Giants, even though most people are taking the Eagles. Um, I guess you could say that it's sharp money on the Giants, although given how much um, public love the Giants get from just their fans, I wouldn't be all that surprised if there's just a lot of wealthy Giants. Right now. <laughs> well, I would think there are a lot of just wealthy Giants fans that can't see them going 0-3 because gambler's fallacy. They just, you know, how could a team lose three games in a row? That kind of thing. And uh, that's just obviously ridiculous because if you've watched the Giants play, you could definitely see them going 0-3. They've looked really awful. Um, So at this point, all we can say for sure is that the public likes the Eagles, at least the non-New York public, and uh, specifically the Eagles' defense. Yeah, I don't really have a ton of interest in this game. So from the Giants' standpoint, like I think that Beckham would make for a really good GPP play if I knew for sure that he's going to play full snaps. But I don't think it's a guarantee at this point. We have no clue what his workload is going to look like. There was videos that came out of him practicing before the game. He looked really good. He said that he was all ready to go. And then the game starts. He plays 60% of the giant snaps. He wasn't really all that involved. And they seem to be really protective of that ankle. So I'm very cautious of playing him this week because I don't know what his I just don't know what his workload is going to look like. But if we get the idea before the game that Beckham's going to be, you know, full go, he's playing 100% of the snaps. He's at full health. Like, you could get Beckham probably like 2 or 3% ownership in big field GPPs, and he is as much upside as anybody on the slate. So in that situation, it becomes a really good target. But other than that, I'm kind of off this game. The Giants' defense is still very good. Uh, the offense is bad as it's been. They're going to be better going forward, but still not a great offense. It's They're very predicated on the health of Odell Beckham. So we'll have to pay attention to the injury news for him to see how many snaps he's going to get. What do you feel about this game, Josh? No interest whatsoever. Uh, maybe I, I do think what you said is actually very accurate about Odell. He, you know, if he does play and everything, you know, there is some sort of news that comes out um, that he's still a little better or something. But um, the Giants are kind of in, in, you know, it's a little early to say free fall and chaos mode. But uh, you know, Ben McAdoo and Eli, you know, Ben McAdoo said something about Eli, you know, needing to pick up his quarterback play a little bit and. Uh, the New York public jump, you know, the press jump right on that. So I, I don't like, I don't like teams with like division. You know, Giants, Giants are my favorite team. I'm a huge Giants fan, but I'll have zero in this game. Uh, I will say that uh, you know, Ertz and you know, weirdly enough, Sproles, just because he's got a history against us, but I would, I won't have anything for him. But Ertz may be the one guy that I'm exposure to. Okay, the next game: the Seattle Seahawks, the Tennessee Titans. Jimmy Graham, questionable. Uh, I think it was uh, an ankle injury. He got hurt during the game and had to come out. And unsure if he's going to play or not. Seems like a 50-50 proposition. Matt, what is the biggest total in the spread for this? The line opened at roughly Pickham. Uh, the Titans were minus one with the juice on the Seattle side. So it's basically Pickham. The line is now up to two and a half, uh, a little towards three for the Titans. This is a little bit strange to see the Titans as almost a field goal favorite. Just 
before the season, most people would have said the Seahawks are definitely a better team than Tennessee, but this spread actually implies that they're fairly even, if not exactly even. Um, as far as the sharp money, there doesn't really look to be much going on. I think that there might have just been a couple early bets on Tennessee from some of the pros, but the public is not biased here. It's split right down the middle. So I definitely like the Tennessee side of the game more if I had to pick who's going to win the game. Um, but I don't think that there's any overreaction from one side or the other. I think that the two and a half or three line looks pretty fair at this point. Yeah, I think that the Seahawks are probably the team that most people have downgraded the most in terms of what their opinion is on them. This is also, I think, the third year in a row that people have uh, kind of said that the Seahawks are not as good as expected after two or three games into the season. And it's been a mistake every other year, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it be a mistake again this year. I think that there's going to be a lot of people with some interest in, in Chris Carson. I'll say I have moderate amount of interest in him, not a ton. Where most of my interest is in this game is going to be on Doug Baldwin if Jimmy Graham isn't able to play. So if Jimmy Graham doesn't play, we also have Paul Richardson dislocated a finger last week. They said the the bone came out like the side of his finger, and he was able to play, but he definitely wasn't 100%. It definitely impacted his performance. So assuming that he's not 100% and that if Jimmy Graham isn't going to be able to go, I think that's a lot of targets for Doug Baldwin. I think he's a really good value play against a not-so-great Tennessee Titans defense. So that's going to be my favorite play for this game. Not a lot of interest in the Titans side of the game. Uh, I think Henry and DeMarco Murray, I think they're going to be splitting carries and uh, for a lot of the season. So I think it's going to be hard to isolate where that production is coming from with the running back. And then also from the wide receiver position, also Eric Decker hasn't played well. Rashard Matthews is still there. Corey Davis, I'm pretty sure, got ruled out today. And then... Delaney Walker also is going to get targets. So that's just a lot of guys who are going to get touches in the Titans offense against a pretty difficult Seahawks defense, even though the team hasn't played well so far. So Doug Baldwin, I think, is the guy from this game who represents the best value. Do you have any differing opinions, Josh? Um, I'm not sure what Chris Carson's price is off the top of my head, but I like him. He's kind of taken over the reins and balls. And, and I think he's reaching, like, RB2 consideration. But, you know, it's early, it's early, it's early for sure. So that's job on me for that. Um, and I do like Tennessee's run defense. So, or at least they were very good last year. I think they were number two. So um, I like Delaney. You know, just because he's – the tight end is such a hard position to, to nail. And it's so easy to ruin your week, uh, you know, when you just have a guy get, like, two points tight end and one catch. So – Delaney ran one in last week. He is just like, he's not only the security blanket, but he's just Mariota's guy. So um, that's probably him and uh, Doug. Absolutely the only two I'll even look at. No, that is true. Delaney Walker's 4,400, which is pretty cheap for him. It is still a tough matchup, but he had, he's had pretty stable production so far this year. He was one of the highest scoring tight ends last year. So I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I think Delaney Walker at 4,400 makes some sense as a tight end play especially because there aren't really a, t- a ton of tight ends that I like a lot this week. Is the game so, in Yes. Yeah, and I, I, you know, another thing, like, just a little GPT, GPP dart, I'll have at least one Mariota and Delaney line up in there, for sure. Okay, so the next game on the slate is the Cincinnati Bengals at the Green Bay Packers. This is another game I really like a lot. Matt, what's the Vegas info for this one? Yeah, I like this game a lot, too, and I think it's the game that may have the biggest misconceptions about one of the team's offenses. Uh, So the Bengals' offense looks to be really underrated by the public. We have really strong spread betting on the Packers at 78%. 
68% of the money line bets, 58% of the bets are on the under, and uh, the totals drop by a point from 45.5 to 44.5, but even with all that betting on the Packers, the line has moved from 9 to 8.5, so it's really, really clear that the Sharps are on the Bengals' side of it, and um, I think that it makes sense given how bad the Bengals have looked and just how the public views the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, and it's not that the Packers are a bad team, it's just they have a pretty bad defense, and the Bengals... We're supposed to be a decent team before the season. They've just looked bad for two weeks. So this is definitely a big public overreaction, at least in my opinion. Yeah, without a doubt, the offense has been terrible this year. I'm going to bring up their DVOA numbers really quick for last year because I feel like they were around league average, maybe even above league average. Yeah, so last year they had the 11th-ranked offense in the league. Uh, They were also the 11th-ranked pass offense. They, didn't, they don't have any significant changes. Like, Andy Dalton's still there. He's had bad games the first two weeks. They've also had really tough matchups. They've played good defenses. The Packers' defense is not a great defense. Andy Dalton's priced all the way down at 5100 That's ridiculously cheap for him. That's cheaper than he was at any point last year. And it's really because they've had to play two difficult matchups. So I think that people really overreact, especially early in the season. Like, if somebody plays the Saints and they do well, it's the best offense ever. If somebody plays... The, say like in Seattle and has a bad game in week one they're one of the worst offenses in the league so you have to take the matchups into consideration and I think the price on on Andy Dalton at 5100 AJ Green's 8100 so not much of a discount on him but with that said we also have uh, Tyler Eifert is questionable to play and if he can't go there's going to be a ton of targets coming AJ Green's way I, I think AJ Green to Andy Dalton is a really good GPP combination and then on the Packers side of the game, we have uh, Randall Cobb mispracticed today and his list is questionable. Jordy Nelson's list is questionable. Adam Schefter said he's 50-50 to play. And then uh, Roto World had a blurb that came out right before we started doing this that Jordy Nelson is trending towards playing and it looks like he's going to play. But with that said, if Randall Cobb isn't able to go, which looks like could be the case, that's going to mean more targets for Jordy Nelson. Ty Montgomery, once again, his price didn't really go up that dramatically. He is at 6,900. So Ty Montgomery at 6,900, like we saw last week, he has a ridiculous role in this offense. He's getting so many touches. He's on the field for every single snap. He only had 10 carries last week, but still six catches for 75 yards. He had a rushing touchdown. He had a receiving touchdown. He gets more looks in the red zone than anybody else in the offense. He's on the. He's literally on the field for 100% of their plays. Uh not actually 100%, like 90% of their plays. They do bring in Williams to spell him every once in a while. But he's very involved. Him at 6,900, still a good value, even though the price has gone up. I still think that I still think he's going to go up and become even more expensive before the season's over. So Ty Montgomery, and then I also like Devontae Adams uh, quite a bit. So this is a game I'm going to stack a lot. I really like Dalton and A.J. Green. I like Ty Montgomery. I like Devontae Adams. Josh, how do you feel about this game? I agree uh, with a lot of what you just said there. Uh, one of the things that, you, that I like to mention that you may not have touched on is that after their loss last week, the Bengals installed a new offensive coordinator, which I love. I think that's, uh, you know, they, they, the Packers so far have been pretty good against the tight end. Uh, Jimmy Graham and Austin Hooper, uh, you know, Hooper had a great, those are two talented guys. Hooper's young and he hasn't proven himself as much, but everyone knows who Jimmy Graham is. Uh, you know, they've literally given up six catches and 25 yards through two games. So, you know, it is only two games, but that's pretty good considering, uh, you know, Atlanta was throwing a decent amount. And, uh, 
Seattle, you know, that's that's a good offense as well. Um, so I do think that, you know, I, I like Green Bay's run defense too. So I think uh, Cincinnati would be looking a lot for, you know, the outsides. Um, you know, A.J. Green, we already said, not much of a discount with him, but I love it. Your discount's going to come with uh, pairing him with Andy Dalton, who I think is a virtual lock to hit value and exceed value. Uh, but who knows? And uh, Joe Mixon, you know, he's a talented guy as well, who I think you're going to see a little bit more of now that this is new offensive coordinator. I'm blanking. I, I can't find his name. But, uh, you know, they, they clearly don't like what the first guy was doing. And uh, the guy they just got rid of was not involving Joe Mixon. So I'm assuming uh, you know, he's a great guy, really talented rookie from Oklahoma who only fell in the draft because of some um, issues with the law. But, you know, look for uh, Cincinnati to be throwing the ball early and often. They're, you know, they're going to be coming from behind. Uh, but, yeah, Jordy practiced fully today. So, again, yeah, that does look good. But I'm, I, I like uh, Devontae was my guy that, you know, for sure. He was – even last year when they when the Packers struggled with receiver injuries down the stretch, Devontae had some really, really big games when they needed him to. And uh, between him and – you know, I don't think Martellus has – Martellus Bennett – has quite developed uh, the chemistry that's necessary and that he will have later in the year with Aaron Rodgers yet. So, you know, especially if Cobb's out, Devontae and Ty Montgomery with a little, you know, A.J. Green on the other side, something like that to bring it back. It's a very, very good GPP combo this week. Okay, so the next game on the slate, only two games left, Chiefs at Chargers. Matt, what's the Vegas info for this one? This is another game where the public is really heavily on one side. We have 81% of the spread bets and 69% of the money line bets on the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs are definitely one of the biggest public favorite teams right now at this point in the season. They looked good against the Eagles last week. They looked really good against the Patriots, obviously, in the first game of the season. Uh, so the line here is three and a half. It's about three and a half still. It's down to three with juice on the favorite side. Uh, so not much line movement. The total, though, has gone up from 45.5 to 47.5. And, and this is actually the game with the strongest uh, percentage of public overbets. So I, I guess the public just likes both offenses in this game. I'm not exactly sure why, but it does definitely seem like the public is looking for offense here. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've really liked Kareem Hunt a lot last week. One of the things I said about him was just him priced at 6800 was ridiculous because I felt that he's probably one of the best fantasy players in the league and one of the best all-around skill players in the league. So now he's all the way up at 8,000 for a more difficult matchup. So I don't have as much interest in him. I'm, I, I might not even have any exposure to Kareem Hunt. I think I would prefer to just spend the extra 800 for Le'Veon Bell in an easier matchup. So I'm off Hunt this week. Uh, I'm, I'm also off Tyreek Hill. His price is a lot higher. My favorite target from the Chiefs offense is going to be Travis Kelsey. Just he's one of the more consistent tight ends in the NFL. This isn't a great week for selecting tight ends, so if I'm paying up, it's going to be for Travis Kelsey. And then from the Chargers side of the game, Melvin Gordon always makes some sense because of the amount of volume he gets. He's not a good player at all, but the Chargers don't care. They're going to give him the ball 20 to 30 times every single game. If they get the ball down to the one-yard line, they'll run four plays in a row up the middle to Melvin Gordon until he scores. That's how they've been running this offense for the last couple of years now. Keenan Allen has been a target monster the last few years. He got a lot of looks last week. He's priced at 7200 so a little bit more expensive. I don't really think there's a lot of value here, but I think that there are some guys like Melvin Gordon, uh, 
Keenan Allen, who just kind of makes sense if you have that amount of money left to pay for them in a flex spot, just because they're going to see the ball a lot in the offense. But the guy who I'm most interested here is Travis Kelsey. Josh, how do you feel about Kareem Hunt? How do you feel about Travis Kelsey in the rest of this game? Um, I think, you know, the secret's out on Hunt. So uh, at this point, I'm probably going to be fading him more often than playing him. Uh, Like you said about guys whose prices just get bumped up like crazy, especially when they, you know, everyone has them on their fancy teams and they want to plug them into their DFS squad as well. Uh, I think San Diego, you know, I feel bad for them. It's almost laughable how many close games they've lost in the past year. You know, I think it's like literally they've lost, they, they, they have like a one in 10 record or something. In, in well, I feel bad for San Diego because they lost their football team. It's Los Angeles now. Yeah, Los Angeles, excuse me. I apologize. I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. no, I like it. But yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Um, and even last week, the kicker flew it at the, right at the end. So um, I like the fact that the public's all over Kansas City. So I think San Diego... Philip Rivers always has a chip on his shoulder, and he always plays like it, too. So um, I do disagree that Melvin Gordon's just not a good player, but me and you can talk about that another time. Uh, but, yeah, you, you know, you said it. The volume is, you know, makes him, regardless of whether he's good or not, the volume makes him always work to play, especially at home. You get a lot of love, a lot of touches, a lot of touchdowns. Um, but I, I, I guess my, you know, the last week, um, I, for whatever reason, I think DraftKings just, like, doesn't bump prices up people play on Monday night. So, yeah, I had a lot of Chargers exposure. Keenan Allen is a target monster, like you said. So, you know, I expect none of that to change. I even, I'm okay with his price this week. I think uh, I think you could – he's not a bad play, but he's like 7,100, 7,200. So, nothing like last week's 5,800. But um, I love the Chargers at home always. They're always – it's just like – for the last two years, I feel like it's just been – there's never really a low-scoring affair for them when they're when – they're, in San Diego in the past, but L.A. now. So, um, I like the tight ends. That's probably my only real uh, my only real exposure this week will be a little Hunter Henry. I don't know the prices off the top of my head, whoever's cheap for Henry Gates, but I like people chasing history. And Gates, uh, I think Gates needs one more touchdown to pass someone, someone very high, high up um, in that list for TV. So, I like people like that. They like to do that for him at home. He was like 3K last week. I'm sure he's not going to be much more now. Yeah, um, no, he's, he's 3,000 this week. Just the issue I have with him is I think Hunter Henry last week got almost all of the targets. I think Gates did get one red zone target that he did catch a touchdown on. Yeah, but Hunter, he's just not involved enough in the offense to me. Like, I don't want to play somebody who's fully reliant on scoring a touchdown. I agree. I'm not going to have much exposure to either of them, if any at all. I'm just saying, like, for example, last week, Gates popped up as like a flex play for me in a lineup that I really liked where, uh, you know, I literally only had 3K left and he was a guy that fit right at the flex. And, you know, I thought to myself, hmm, maybe. And like you said, it's not like he did, you know, that probably would have been lucky last week. He didn't get many targets. But, um, you know, he's him and Rivers have been doing it together for years. So, you know, especially at home, they, they, they do, you know, I, I like their tight ends. But Hunter Henry's their guy of the future for sure. So. He's probably only a couple hundred bucks more, so he, he would be the better play. But I'm not going to have much Tyrell Williams, I don't think, if any. Okay, so the Sunday night game, which I'm pretty sure is the game with the highest point total of the week, that is the Oakland Raiders at the Washington Redskins. Uh, what is the point total for this game, Matt? It's, it's around 50, isn't it? Uh, it's actually up to 54. It opened 53.5. It's gone up half a point. 
with 69% of the bets on the over so far. So not a crazy amount, but the public does side with the over here. Uh, the, the point spread opened at three and a half, favoring the Raiders. It's now down to three. The Sharps are pretty clearly on the Redskins, and the Raiders, at least for now, seem like they're going to be overvalued every single week. Uh, they went 12-4 and four last season, right? That's That was, that was the record. Um, but the Football Outsiders had them with an expected win total of 8.8. .8. So essentially what they did was win a lot of close games. Their per-play efficiency wasn't very good, but whether it was a weak schedule or they just happened to catch teams at their weakest points or they just happened to get lucky a few times, the Raiders overachieved pretty dramatically last year and are probably a good team, but they're nothing special. And uh, the Redskins haven't looked particularly good this year. Um, they did have a decent win against the Rams last week, but I think that there's obviously more public love for Oakland than there is for Washington. Uh, so with 76% of the spread bets going on Oakland, the money line's about split. I think that the Redskins, based on the way the Vegas lines are set up, probably are my favorite offense in terms of how many expected points you can look for from them relative to their ownership. Yeah, I think this is a very stackable game from the, I don't really have much interest in either running game. So uh, Fat Rob Kelly is questionable to play. He busted up a rib. It's pretty up in the air whether he's going to play or not. Even if he doesn't play, the Redskins running back situation is, it, it's it's still going to be a very split carries uh, type of deal. So uh, Christian Thompson, uh he, uh, Chris Thompson last week, he had a couple of really big catches. But with that said, the Redskins have said that even if Kelly isn't able to play, they're going to keep Thompson exclusively to a third down role, which means that he's not going to be getting a ton of playing time. So even the best case scenario for him is probably somewhere around 20 to 30 snaps and maybe getting like six to eight touches or something like that. So it's just not enough volume for me. Uh, Sam Perrine is probably going to be the starting running back if if Kelly isn't able to play, but still it, it's not enough volume for me with him not being a three down back. I have a lot more interest in the Redskins passing game. I think this is a really good spot for Kirk Cousins and Terrell Pryor. And then from the Raiders side of the game, we haven't seen who Josh Norman's going to be shading yet in between Amari Cooper, and Michael Crabtree. It could also be neither. He could just be playing one side of the field. So I'm going to avoid whichever guy he's guarding. I'm hoping that he's guarding Crabtree because I really like Cooper in this spot if he's not being guarded by Josh Norman. Uh, but this is a really stackable game. So, I mean, either one of Cooper, Crabtree, and then just Kirk Cousins with, uh, even with Crowder, Pryor, as like a double stack. I, I really think that this is going to be a really high-scoring game and a good game to stack. How do you feel about this one, Josh? Um, I agree. Uh, it's, you know, that's a, it's a really good Sunday night game. Um, you know, Raiders going cross country. Uh, Mari doesn't have the best career numbers uh, in the late game, I believe. But you know, that only goes for so much. Four career night games, something. Uh, I don't know. Not very good numbers. Um, and the Redskins, you know, they've they've done a pretty good job so far of limiting receivers. So uh, I, I I think Norman will be shadowing Cooper personally, but you know, like you said, we don't know for sure yet. Um, they, the Redskins have given up some touchdowns to running backs, so they've been a little susceptible on the ground. I don't like Cooper. I'm more of a Crabtree guy. Um, so other than that, you know, Chris Thompson, like you said, you know, teams say things like, oh, yeah, his role's not going to change, so we'll see. Uh, you know, what do they, uh, if, if, if Fat Rob 
is Fat Rob in doubt of his in chance of missing the game? What or what? Or they just... Yeah, he's, qu- he's he's questionable. Okay, so I mean, Chris Thompson's <laughs> not an every down back. You know, he's 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 good right now because he's good at you know when they're throwing him in there, teams expect him to just like run that little like wheel route and stuff. So um, I think they know that they you know. So I, I won't have much Chris Thompson love. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is a good game to end the week with. It's uh, unlike last week. I think if you, if you roster one or two players from this one, um, you know, it'll be you'll be jumping pretty late in the night. Maybe not so much on the on the Oakland side since like they're kind of like America's team right now. It's kind of funny. Just I don't know why. When did that really happen? Huh? Like why? Like why does everyone? They went twelve and four last year. I think that's the main reason. <laughs> I know, but like everyone loves them now. Usually, it's like, well, I don't know. Yes, they're very good. Um, yeah, Derek, well, Derek Carr made that music video, right? Yeah. He's culturally relevant. Yeah. Um, I mean, also he's he's also reasonably priced this week at sixty eight hundred. Kirk Cousins is at sixty one hundred. So, I mean, just for the amount of points that we're expected to score in this game, nobody's really that ridiculously priced. Uh, we've got both quarterbacks under. Under seven thousand, Amari Cooper's at seventy one hundred. Crabtree's seventy four hundred. Uh, Terrell Pryor at fifty nine hundred. That's just a really strong wide receiver play to me. He was able to put up over a thousand receiving yards on the Browns last year, and rated as one of the better wide receivers in football. And this is just a really plus matchup for him. I really like stacking this game. I think this is a really strong spot. So. Definitely. They, he hasn't had his, like, big, big week yet this year. That's why, like, you know, people, he's not higher. More expensive. But I love him. Yeah, this is actually the cheapest he's been this year, and it's it's in his most favorable matchup. So far, they've played at the Rams against the Eagles. So this is going to be easily the best matchup for Terrell Pryor, but also the cheapest he's been all year. So but he's going to be one of the wide receivers that I roster more than anybody else. So that is going to finish the week three podcast. Hopefully it went as well as the week two one did, and we'll know that come Sunday night. So we'll be back to baseball tomorrow.